Thank you for listening to The Sleepy Bookshelf tonight. You make this show possible. If you'd like to support us, then check out our premium feed, where you'll get ad-free access to the entire catalogue, plus exclusive episodes in between our longer books. There's a link to learn more in the show notes. Good evening, and welcome to the Sleepy Bookshelf, where we put down our worries from the day and pick up a good book. As always, I'm Elizabeth, your host, and it's lovely to have you here with me. Tonight, we'll be returning again to Pride and Prejudice. But before that, let's take some time to unwind and relax. Take a big stretch where you are and feel the tension release from your muscles. Today is over, and all that matters is that you get the rest you deserve to take on tomorrow. Let's take some nice, deep breaths to help you settle in. Take a deep breath in, imagining all your worries and concerns are being sucked into a little cloud and then exhale and watch that cloud drift away once more for good measure inhale and exhale great you can repeat this as many times as you need to feel fully relaxed. In the last episode, Jane's condition worsened and the doctor was called for, who, in agreement with Mrs. Bennett, advised that Jane not be moved from Netherfield Park. Elizabeth was then set to endure another day and night with the Netherfield party in between caring for her sister. She estimated that Charles Bingley really was enamored of Jane and that the two women had alternate motives which she could not yet pinpoint and that Mr. Hurst only enjoyed eating, drinking and playing cards. Mr. Darcy Realizing that Caroline Bingley was becoming increasingly aware of his attentions on Elizabeth, decided to make a conscious effort to avoid her. After all, he could never marry a woman of her standing, could he? So we pick back up tonight, still at Netherfield Park, with Elizabeth desperate to get herself and Jane home and attempting to convince Mrs. Bennet to send a carriage. Chapter 12 In consequence of an agreement between the sisters, Elizabeth wrote the next morning to her mother 
to beg that the carriage might be sent for them in the course of the day. But Mrs. Bennet, who had counted on her daughter's remaining at Netherfield till the following Tuesday, which would exactly finish Jane's week, could not bring herself to receive them with pleasure before. Her answer, therefore, was not propitious, at least not to Elizabeth's wishes, for she was impatient to get home. Mrs. Bennet sent them word that they could not possibly have the carriage before Tuesday, and in her postscript it was added that if Mr. Bingley and his sister pressed them to stay longer, she could spare them very well. Against staying longer, however, Elizabeth was positively resolved, nor did she much expect it would be asked. Fearful, on the contrary, as being considered as intruding themselves needlessly long, she urged Jane to borrow Mr. Bingley's carriage immediately. At length, it was settled that their original design of leaving Netherfield that morning should be mentioned and the request made. The communication excited many professions of concern, and enough was said of wishing them to stay at least till the following day to work on Jane, and till the morrow their going was deferred. Miss Bingley was then sorry that she had proposed the delay, for her jealousy and dislike of one sister much exceeded her affection for the other. The master of the house heard with real sorrow that they were to go so soon, and repeatedly tried to persuade Miss Bennet that it would not be safe for her, that she was not enough recovered. But Jane was firm where she felt herself to be right. To Mr. Darcy it was welcome news, Elizabeth had been at Netherfield long enough. She attracted him more than he liked, and Miss Bingley was uncivil to her, and more teasing than usual to himself. He wisely resolved to be particularly careful that no sign of admiration should now escape him. Nothing that could elevate her with the hope of influencing his felicity sensible that if such an idea had been suggested, his behavior during that last day must have material weight in confirming or crushing it. Steady to his purpose, he scarcely spoke ten words to her throughout the whole of Saturday, and though they were at one time left by themselves for half an hour, he adhered most conscientiously to his book, and would not even look at her. On Sunday, after morning service, the separation so agreeable to almost all took place. Miss Bingley's civility to Elizabeth increased at last very rapidly, as well as her affection for Jane, and when they parted, after reassuring the latter of the pleasure it would always give her to see her either at Longbourn or Netherfield, and embracing her most tenderly, she even shook hands with the former. Elizabeth took leave of the whole party 
in the liveliest spirits. They were not welcomed home very cordially by their mother. Mrs. Bennet wondered at their coming and thought them very wrong to give so much trouble and was sure Jane would have caught cold again. But their father, though very laconic in his expressions of pleasure, was really glad to see them. He had felt their importance in the family circle. The evening conversation, when they were all assembled, had lost much of its animation and almost all its sense by the absence of Jane and Elizabeth. They found Mary, as usual, deep in the study of thorough base and human nature and had some new extracts to admire and some observations of threadbare morality to listen to. Catherine and Lydia had information for them of a different sort. Much had been done and much had been said in the regiment since the preceding Wednesday. Several of the officers had dined lately with their uncle and it had actually been hinted that Colonel Forster was going to be married. Chapter 13 I hope, my dear, said Mr. Bennet to his wife as they were at breakfast the next morning, that you have ordered a good dinner today because I have reason to expect an addition to our family party. Who do you mean, my dear? Mrs. Bennet inquired. I know of nobody that is coming, I am sure, unless Charlotte Lucas should happen to call in, and I hope my dinners are good enough for her. I do not believe she often sees such at home. The person of whom I speak is a gentleman and a stranger, said Mr. Bennet. Mrs. Bennet's eyes sparkled. A gentleman and a stranger? Mrs. Bennet repeated. It is Mr. Bingley, I am sure. Why, Jane, you never dropped a word of this, you sly thing. Well, I am sure I shall be extremely glad to see Mr. Bingley. But good Lord, how unlucky. There is not a bit of fish to be got today. Lydia, my love, ring the bell. I must speak to Hill this moment. It is not Mr. Bingley, said her husband. It is a person whom I never saw in the whole course of my life. This roused a general astonishment, and he had the pleasure of being eagerly questioned by his wife and five daughters at once. After amusing himself some time with their curiosity, he thus explained. About a month ago, I received this letter, and about a fortnight ago, I answered it, for I thought it a case of some delicacy and requiring early attention, said Mr. Bennet. It is from my cousin, Mr. Collins, who, when I am dead, may turn you all out of this house as soon as he pleases. Oh, my dear cried his wife. I cannot bear to hear that mentioned. Pray, do not talk of that odious man. I do think this is the hardest thing in the world 
that your estate should be entailed away from your own children. And I'm sure if I had been you, I should have tried long ago to do something or other about it. Jane and Elizabeth attempted to explain to her the nature of an entail. They had often attempted it before, but it was a subject on which Mrs. Bennet was beyond the reach of reason. She continued to rail bitterly against the cruelty of setting an estate away from a family of five daughters in favor of a man whom nobody cared anything about. It certainly is a most ubiquitous affair, said Mr. Bennet, and nothing can clear Mr. Collins from the guilt of inheriting Longbourn. But if you will listen to his letter, you may perhaps be a little softened by his manner of expressing himself. No, that I am sure I shall not, said Mrs. Bennet. And I think it was very impertinent of him to write to you at all, and very hypocritical. I hate such false friends. Why could he not keep on quarrelling with you as his father did before him? Why, indeed, he does seem to have some filial scruples on that head, as you will hear, said Mr. Bennet, proceeding to read the letter aloud. Huntsford, near Westerham, Kent, 15th of October. Dear Sir, The disagreement subsisting between yourself and my late honoured father always gave me much uneasiness, and since I have had the misfortune to lose him, I have frequently wished to heal the breach. But for some time I was kept back by my own doubts, fearing lest it might seem disrespectful to his memory for me to be on good terms with anyone with whom it had always pleased him to be at variance. There, Mrs. Bennet. My mind, however, is now made up on the subject, for having received ordination at Easter, I have been so fortunate as to be distinguished by the patronage of the Right Honourable Lady Catherine de Bourgh, widow of Sir Louis de Bourgh, whose bounty and beneficence has preferred me to the valuable rectory of this parish, where it shall be my earnest endeavour to demean myself with grateful respect towards her ladyship, and be ever ready to perform those rites and ceremonies which are instituted by the Church of England. As a clergyman, moreover, I feel it my duty to promote and establish the blessing of peace in all families within the reach of my influence, and on these grounds I flatter myself that my present overtures of goodwill are highly commendable, and that the circumstance of my being next in the inheritance of Longbourn Estate will be kindly overlooked on your side, and not lead you to reject the offered olive branch. I cannot be otherwise than concerned at being the means of injuring your amiable daughters, and beg leave to apologize for it, as well as to assure you of my readiness to make them every possible amends. But of this hereafter. 
If you should have no objection to receive me into your house, I propose myself the satisfaction of waiting on you and your family. Monday, November 18th, by four o'clock, and shall probably trespass on your hospitality till the Saturday night following, which I can do without any inconvenience, as Lady Catherine is far from objecting to my occasional absence on a Sunday, provided that some other clergyman is engaged to do the duty of the day. I remain, dear sir, with respectful compliments to your lady and daughters, your well-wisher and friend, William Collins. After four o'clock, therefore, we may expect this peacemaking gentleman, said Mr. Bennet, and he folded up the letter. He seems to be a most conscientious and polite young man upon my word, and I doubt he will not prove a valuable acquaintance, especially if Lady Catherine should be so indulgent as to let him come to us again. There is some sense in what he says about the girls, however, said Mrs. Bennet, and if he is disposed to make them any amends, I shall not be the person to discourage him. Though it is difficult, said Jane, to guess in what way he can mean to make us the atonement he thinks our due, the wish is certainly to his credit. Elizabeth was chiefly struck with his extraordinary deference for Lady Catherine, and his kind intention of christening, marrying, and burying his parishioners whenever it were required. He must be an oddity, I think, said she. I cannot make him out. There is something very pompous in his style. And what can he mean by apologizing for being next in the entail? We cannot suppose he would help it if he could. Can he be a sensible man, sir? No, my dear, I think not, said Mr. Bennet. I have great hopes of finding him quite the reverse. There is a mixture of civility and self-importance in his letter, which promises well. I'm impatient to see him. In point of composition, said Mary, his letter does not seem defective. The idea of the olive branch perhaps is not wholly new, yet I think it is well expressed. To Catherine and Lydia, neither the letter nor its writer were in any degree interesting. It was next to impossible that their cousin should come in a scarlet coat, and it was now some weeks since they had received pleasure from the society of a man in any other colour. As for their mother, Mr. Collins's letter had done away much of her ill will, and she was preparing to see him with a degree of composure which astonished her husband and daughters. Mr. Collins was punctual to his time and was received with great politeness by the whole family. Mr. Bennet indeed said little, but the ladies were ready enough to talk, and Mr. Collins seemed neither in need of encouragement nor inclined to be silent himself. He was a tall, heavy-looking young man of five-and-twenty. His air was grave and stately, 
and his manners were very formal. He had not been long seated before he complimented Mrs. Bennet on having so fine a family of daughters. He said he had heard much of their beauty, but that, in this instance, fame had fallen short of the truth. And he added that he did not doubt her seeing them all in due time, well disposed of in marriage. This gallantry was not much to the taste of some of his hearers, but Mrs. Bennet, who quarrelled with no complaints, answered most readily, You are very kind, sir, I am sure, and I wish with all my heart it may prove so, for else they will be destitute enough. Things are settled so oddly. You allude, perhaps, to the inheritance of this estate, said Mr. Collins. Aye, sir, I do indeed, said Mrs. Bennet. It is a grievous affair to my poor girls, you must confess. Not that I mean to find fault with you, for such things I know are all chance in this world. There is no knowing how estates will go once they come to be entailed. I am very sensible, madam, of the hardship to my fair cousins, and could say much on the subject, but I am cautious of appearing forward and precipitate, said Mr. Collins, but I can assure the young ladies that I come prepared to admire them. At present I will not say more, but perhaps, when we are better acquainted, he was interrupted by a summons to dinner and the girls smiled on each other. They were not the only objects of Mr. Collins's admiration. The hall, the dining room, and all its furniture were examined and praised. His commendation of everything would have touched Mrs. Bennet's heart, but for the mortifying supposition of his viewing it all as his own future property. The dinner too, in its turn, was highly admired, he begged to know which of his fair cousins the excellence of its cookery was owing. But here, he was set right by Mrs. Bennet, who assured him with some asperity that they were very well able to keep a good cook and that her daughters had nothing to do in the kitchen. He begged pardon for having displeased her. In a softened tone, she declared herself not at all offended but he continued to apologize for about a quarter of an hour. Chapter 14 During dinner, Mr. Bennet scarcely spoke at all, but when the servants were withdrawn, he thought it time to have some conversation with his guests, and therefore started a subject in which he expected him to shine by observing that he seemed very fortunate in his patroness. Lady Catherine de Bourgh's attention to his wishes and consideration for his comfort appeared very remarkable. Mr. Bennet could not have chosen better. Mr. Collins was eloquent in her praise. The subject elevated him to more than usual solemnity of manner and with a most important aspect. He protested that he had never in his life witnessed such behavior in a person of rank, 
such affability and condescension as he had himself experienced from Lady Catherine. She had been graciously pleased to approve of both the discourses which he had already had the honor of preaching before her. She had also asked him twice to dine at Rosings, and had sent for him only the Saturday before to make up her pool for a dance in the evening. Lady Catherine was reckoned proud by many people he knew, but he had never seen anything but affability in her. She had always spoken to him as she would do any other gentleman. She made not the smallest objection to his joining in the society of the neighborhood, nor to his leaving his parish occasionally for a week or two to visit his relations. She had even condescended to advise him to marry as soon as he could, provided he chose with discretion. And she had once paid him a visit in his humble parsonage, where she had perfectly approved all the alterations he had been making, and had even vouchsafed to suggest some herself, some shelves in the closets upstairs. That is all very proper and civil, I am sure, said Mrs. Bennet, and I dare say she is a very agreeable woman. It is a pity that great ladies in general are not more like her. Does she live near you, sir? The garden which stands my humble abode is separated only by a lane from Rosings Park, her ladyship's residence, said Mr. Collins. I think you said she was a widow, sir, said Mrs. Bennet. Has she any family? She has only one daughter, the heiress of Rosings, and a very extensive property, replied Mr. Collins. Ah, said Mrs. Bennet, shaking her head. Then she is better off than many girls. And what sort of young lady is she? Is she handsome? She is a most charming young lady indeed, said Mr. Collins. Lady Catherine herself says that in point of true beauty, Mr. Berg is far superior to the handsomest of her sex, because there is that in her features which marks the young woman of distinguished birth. She is, unfortunately, of a sickly constitution which has prevented her making that progress in many accomplishments which she could not otherwise have failed of, as I am informed by the lady who superintended her education and who still resides with them. But she is perfectly amiable and often condescends to drive by my humble abode in her little carriage and ponies. Has she been presented? asked Mrs. Bennet. I do not remember her name among the ladies at court. Her indifferent state of health unhappily prevents her being in town, and by that means, as I told Lady Catherine myself one day, has deprived the British court of its brightest ornament, said Mr. Collins. Her ladyship seemed pleased with the idea, and you may imagine that I am happy on every occasion to offer those delicate compliments where they are always 
acceptable to ladies. I have more than once observed to Lady Catherine that her charming daughter seemed born to be a duchess, and that most elevated rank, instead of giving her consequence, would be adorned by her. These are the kind of little things which please her ladyship, and it is a sort of attention which I conceive myself particularly bound to pay. You judge very properly, said Mr. Bennet, and it is happy for you that you possess the talent of flattering with delicacy. May I ask whether these pleasing attentions proceed from the impulse of the moment, or are a result of previous study? They arrive chiefly from what is passing at the time, said Mr. Collins, and though I sometimes amuse myself with suggesting and arranging such little elegant compliments as may be adapted to ordinary occasions, I always wish to give them as unstudied an air as possible. Mr. Bennet's expectations were fully answered. His cousin was as absurd as he had hoped, and he listened to him with the keenest enjoyment, maintaining at the same time the most resolute composure of countenance, and, except for an occasional glance at Elizabeth, required no partner in his pleasure. By tea time, however, the dose had been enough, and Mr. Bennet was glad to take his guest into the drawing room again and when tea was over, glad to invite him to read aloud to the ladies. Mr. Collins readily assented, and a book was produced. But on beholding it, for everything announced it to be from a circulating library, he started back, and begging pardon, protested that he never read novels. Kitty stared at him, and Lydia exclaimed. Other books were produced, and after some deliberation, he chose Fordyce's sermons. Lydia gaped as he opened the volume, before he had, with very monotonous solemnity, read three pages. She interrupted him with, Do you know, Mama, that my Uncle Phillips talks of turning away Richard, and if he does, Colonel Forster will hire him. My aunt told me so herself on Saturday. I shall walk to Meryton tomorrow to hear more about it, and to ask when Mr. Denny comes back from town. Lydia was bid by her two eldest sisters to hold her tongue, but Mr. Collins, much offended, laid aside his book and said, I have often observed how little young ladies are interested by books of a serious stamp, though written solely for their benefit. It amazes me, I confess, for certainly there can be nothing so advantageous to them as instruction, but I will no longer importune my young cousin. Then, turning to Mr. Bennet, he offered himself as his antagonist at backgammon. Mr. Bennet accepted the challenge, observing that he acted very wisely in leaving the girls to their own trifling amusements. Mrs. Bennet and her daughters apologized most civilly for Lydia's interruption, 
and promised that it should not occur again if he would resume his book. But Mr. Collins, after assuring them that he bore his young cousin no ill will and should never resent her behavior as any affront, seated himself at another table with Mr. Bennet and prepared for backgammon. Chapter 15 Mr. Collins was not a sensible man, and the deficiency of nature had been but little assisted by education or society. The greatest part of his life, having been spent under the guidance of an illiterate and miserly father, and though he belonged to one of the universities, he had merely kept the necessary terms without forming at it any useful acquaintance. The subjection in which his father had brought him up had given him originally great humility of manner, but it was now a good deal counteracted by the self-conceit of a weak head, living in retirement, and the consequential feelings of early and unexpected prosperity. A fortunate chance had recommended him to Lady Catherine de Bourgh when the living of Hunsford was vacant, and the respect which he felt for her high rank, and his veneration for her as his patroness, mingling with a very good opinion of himself, of his authority as a clergyman, and his rights as a rector, made him altogether a mixture of pride and abject submissiveness, self-importance, and humility. Having now a good house and a very sufficient income, he intended to marry, and in seeking reconciliation with the Longbourn family, he had a wife in view, as he meant to choose one of the daughters if he found them as handsome and amiable as they were represented by common report. This was his plan of amends, of atonement, for inheriting their father's estate, and he thought it an excellent one, full of eligibility and suitableness, and excessively generous and disinterested on his own part. His plan did not vary on seeing them. Miss Jane Bennet's lovely face confirmed his views and established all his strictest notions of what was due to seniority. And for the first evening, she was his settled choice. The next morning, however, made an alteration for in a quarter of an hour's tete-a-tete with Mrs. Bennet before breakfast, a conversation beginning with his parsonage house and leading naturally to the avowal of his hopes that a mistress for it might be found at Longbourn, produced from her, amid very complacent smiles and general encouragement, a caution against the very Jane he had fixed on. As to her younger daughters, she could not take upon her to say. She could not positively answer, but did not know of any preposition. Her eldest daughter, she must mention, she felt it incumbent on her to hint, was likely to be very soon engaged, 
Mr. Collins had only to change from Jane to Elizabeth, and it was soon done. Done while Mrs. Bennet was stirring the fire. Elizabeth, equally next to Jane in birth and beauty, succeeded her, of course. Mrs. Bennet treasured up the hint and trusted that she might soon have two daughters married, and the man whom she could not bear to speak of the day before was now high in her good graces. Lydia's intention of walking to Meryton was not forgotten. Every sister, except Mary, agreed to go with her. Mr. Collins was to accompany them at the request of Mr. Bennet, who was most anxious to get rid of him and have his library to himself. For there, Mr. Collins had followed him after breakfast, and there he would continue, nominally engaged with one of the largest folios in the collection, but really talking to Mr. Bennet with little secession of his house and garden at Hunsford. Such doings discomposed Mr. Bennet exceedingly. In his library, he had been always sure of leisure and tranquility, and though prepared, as he told Elizabeth, to meet with folly and conceit in every other room in the house, he was used to be free from them there, his civility, therefore, was most prompt in inviting Mr. Collins to join his daughters in their walk, and Mr. Collins, being in fact much better fitted for a walker than a reader, was extremely well pleased to close his book and go. In pompous nothings on his side, and civil assents on that of his cousins, their time passed till they entered Meryton. The attention of their younger ones was then no longer to be gained by him. Their eyes were immediately wandered up in the street in quest of the officers, and nothing less than a very smart bonnet indeed, or a really new muslin in a shop window could recall them. But the attention of every lady was soon caught by a young man whom they had never seen before, of most gentlemanlike appearance, walking with an officer on the other side of the way. The officer was the very Mr. Denny concerning whose return from London Lydia came to inquire, and he bowed as they passed. All were struck with the stranger's air. All wondered who he could be and Kitty and Lydia determined, if possible, to find out, led the way across the street, under the pretense of wanting something in an opposite shop, and fortunately had just gained the pavement when the two gentlemen, turning back, had reached the same spot. Mr. Denny addressed them directly and entreated permission to introduce his friend, Mr. Wickham, who had returned with him the day before from town, and, he was happy to say, had accepted a commission in their call. This was exactly as it should be, for the young man was only in need of a regimental uniform to make him completely charming. His appearance was greatly in his favour, 
he had all the best parts of beauty, a fine countenance, a good figure, and very pleasing address. The introduction was followed up on his side by a happy readiness of conversation, a readiness at the same time perfectly correct and unassuming. The whole party was still standing and talking together very agreeably when the sound of horses drew their notice, and Darcy and Bingley were seen riding down the street. On distinguishing the ladies of the group, the two gentlemen came directly towards them and began the usual civilities. Bingley was the principal spokesman, and Miss Bennet the principal object. He was then, he said, on his way to Longbourn on purpose to inquire after her. Mr. Darcy corroborated it with a bow and was beginning to determine not to fix his eyes on Elizabeth when they were suddenly arrested by the sight of the stranger. And Elizabeth, happening to see the countenance of both as they looked at each other, was all astonishment at the effect of the meeting. Both changed color. One looked white, the other red. Mr. Wickham, after a few moments, touched his hat, a salutation which Mr. Darcy just deigned to return. What could be the meaning of it? It was impossible to imagine. It was impossible not to want to know. In another minute, Mr. Bingley, but without seeming to have noticed what passed, took leave and rode on with his friend. Mr. Denny and Mr. Wickham walked with the young ladies to the door of Mr. Phillips's house and then made their bows. In spite of Miss Lydia's pressing entreaties that they would come in, and even in spite of Mrs. Phillips's throwing up the parlour window and loudly seconding the invitation. Mrs. Phillips was always glad to see her nieces. The two eldest, from their recent absence, were particularly welcome. She was eagerly expressing her surprise at their sudden return home, which, as their own carriage had not fetched them, she should have known nothing about if she had not happened to see Mr. Jones's shop boy in the street, who told her they were not to send any more drafts to Netherfield because the Miss Bennets were come away, when her civility was claimed towards Mr. Collins by Jane's introduction of him. She received him with her very best politeness, which she returned with as much more, apologizing for his intrusion without any previous acquaintance with her, which he could not help flattering himself, however, might be justified by his relationship to the young ladies who introduced him to her notice. Mrs. Phillips was quite awed by such an excess of good breeding, but her contemplation of one stranger was soon put to an end by exclamations and inquiries about the other, of whom, however, she could only tell her nieces what they already knew, that Mr. Denny had brought him from London and that he was to have a lieutenant's commission in the Shire. 
She had been watching him the last hour, she said, as he walked up and down the street. And had Mr. Wickham appeared, Kitty and Lydia would certainly have continued the occupation. But unluckily, no one passed the windows now, except for a few of the officers who, in comparison with the stranger, had become stupid, disagreeable fellows. Some of them were to dine with the Phillipses the next day. The aunt promised to make her husband call on Mr. Wickham and give him an invitation also, if the family from Longbourn would come in the evening. This was agreed to, and Mrs. Phillips protested that they would have a nice, comfortable, noisy game of lottery tickets and a little bit of hot supper afterwards. The prospect of such delights was very cheering, and they parted in mutual good spirits. Mr. Collins repeated his apologies in leaving the room, and was assured with unwearying civility that they were perfectly needless. As they walked home, Elizabeth related to Jane what she had seen pass between the two gentlemen, but though Jane would have defended either or both, had they appeared to be wrong, she could no more explain such behaviour than her sister. Mr. Collins, on his return, highly gratified Mrs. Bennet by admiring Mrs. Phillips's manners and politeness. He protested that except Lady Catherine and her daughter, he had never seen a more elegant woman, for she had not only received him with the utmost civility, but had even pointedly included him in her invitation for the next evening, although utterly unknown to her before. Something, he supposed, might be attributed to his connection with them, but yet he had never met with so much attention in the whole course of his life.